0: Good morning, Christ Prez. The scripture reading today is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. It's a long passage, and I'm not going to read it, but you might pause now and read through that passage before uh, continuing to listen. This is a message that I actually shared several years ago, but um, it will be new to some of you, and, and some of you have probably forgotten it. And uh, I hope that it will tie in well with our series that we're doing on joining in God's mission. One of the things you notice if, as I do, you watch a lot of Western movies, is that so many of them are just variations on the same basic story. You know, you've got a town filled with ordinary, decent folks, um, but the town has a problem. There's a villain or a group of villains in the town who are up to no good, who start making trouble in the neighborhood. And then, of course, there's a hero. A mysterious stranger who rides in. And no one knows exactly who he is or where he comes from. But the one thing we know is that by the end of the movie, he'll have set things right in the town. Now, another thing about these Western movies, the town always has a saloon. And the saloon always has a piano player. And you can be fairly confident that at some point in the movie, the hero is going to go to the saloon. Now, maybe he's going for a drink, but he's never just going for a drink. Uh, You don't have to wonder about what's going to happen in the saloon. You know, if you've watched enough westerns, that there's going to be some kind of confrontation. I mean, sure, the details, they differ from movie to movie, but you can be sure that there's going to be some kind of throwdown in the saloon. That's the trope. And you see, it's actually meant to heighten our interest and awareness as viewers. We know that when the hero goes into the saloon, something significant is going to happen. When we see the swinging doors, it's a sign to sit up and pay attention. Things are about to get real. Something kind of like that is going on in the Bible with wells. Wells are like the saloons of the biblical narrative. So what happens in the Bible when people go to the well? Well, just listen. First, listen to this passage from Genesis chapter 24. Um, Abraham, by this time, is getting old, but his son Isaac hasn't found a wife yet. And so Abraham tells his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. And and so the servant gets up and sets out on a journey to a distant land. He goes to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And guess where he goes? He goes to the well. And then we read this. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water Jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water to drink from your jar.' She said, "'Drink, my lord.' And she quickly let her jar down, sorry, let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "'I will draw water for your camels also.' Until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Then there's a bit more interaction between them, and then we read this. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Okay, here's another uh, well encounter. This is from Genesis 29. This is about Jacob and Rachel. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. Well, Jacob talks with these guys for a little bit, and then we read this. While he was still speaking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and she ran. And told her father. Okay, here's one more. This one is from Exodus chapter 2, and it's about Moses and Zipporah. For context, this is right after Moses has killed the Egyptian. And then we read this When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. All right, so those are three well encounters that we see in uh, Genesis and Exodus. Did you pick up on the similarities? First, in each case, we have the arrival of a man at the well after a long journey from a distant land. Second, in each case, we have the man, or in Isaac's case, his representative, meeting his future bride at the well. And then third, in each case, at the end, the woman goes to announce the event to her to her family. Okay, so now Jesus, the mysterious stranger, has journeyed to a distant land, Samaria, and he sat down by a well. And and John wants to make sure that we know it's not just any well, this is Jacob's well. If we've watched enough westerns, we know what's going to happen when the stranger walks into the saloon. And if we've read enough biblical well scenes, we know what's going to happen when Jesus walks up to the well. Who is he? What is he doing? You know, every now and then, uh, some magazine will publish a story suggesting that um, Jesus got married. And these stories are meant to shock, as if Jesus being married is some kind of scandalous thing that would undermine the entire Christian faith. Well, as far as I can tell, there's no good reason to think that Jesus did actually get married. But at the same time, the church has always known that Jesus is the bridegroom, and that Jesus is seeking a bride. You know, in John chapter 3, less than 10 verses before this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, John the Baptist says this, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So, john the baptist identifies jesus as the bridegroom at the end of chapter three and then the next thing we know jesus is going to a well in a distant land samaria it's like the saloon doors are swinging telling us to sit up and pay attention who is he what is he doing he's the bridegroom and he's looking for his bride everything about the way john has laid this out makes makes it clear Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's gone to this well to do what bridegrooms in the Bible always do when they go to wells. He's there to find his bride. Let's look at the bride. You know, when Abraham's servant went to find Rebekah for Isaac, we read that he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. See, the time when women go out to draw water is the evening or sometimes in the morning because that's when you can avoid the oppressive heat. But this Samaritan woman is coming at noon. She comes in the heat of the day. She comes at noon and she comes alone. You know, in other well scenes, there are always groups involved. There, are, There's numerous women, but not here. It's just her and Jesus. The details of the story stand out if we've watched enough well encounters. The details are telling us that This woman is an outsider. But more than an outsider, it's like maybe she's the ultimate outsider, an absolute outcast. She's a Samaritan. She's not part of the people of God. She's not there with family because she has no family. She's not with her friends because she has no friends. She's an outsider, an outcast. Jesus offers offers her um, living water he's able to discern that she's, she's thirsty at this deep soul level. Like she wants something more than just well water to quench her physical thirst. And, and Jesus is saying, I can satisfy that. I, I can satisfy that deep thirst. I can give you what you've been looking for in all those other wells you've dug, in all those holes in the ground you've been dropping the bucket of your soul down into. Jesus is saying, I'm the spring I'm the source of real living water. I'm the one, the only one, who can really satisfy your thirst. Think about what an extraordinary claim that is. I mean, this is this is one of the many reasons, it just won't do to say that Jesus was merely a great religious teacher. You know, all great religious teachers always point away from themselves. They say, if you want to get in touch with the divine, if you want to satisfy the deep thirst of your soul, well read that book or go to that temple or say those prayers or or put yourself in touch with that reality and and Jesus says if you want to get in touch with the divine then get in touch with me if you want to satisfy the deep thirst of your soul just come to me and ask you see that's either one of the most arrogant egotistical delusional things a human being has ever said Or it's the best news for people like you and me who are tired and thirsty. But do you see that Jesus is not the kind of person you can merely respect? See, you either want to get away from this guy because he's interfering with your trip to the well and saying crazy things. Or you see that he is the spring. He is the well. He's either in the way between you and what you're really after, or he is what you're really after. So you worship him and you drop the bucket of your soul down into him and you ask him for living water. Well, the woman does ask for it, but it's also clear that she still doesn't quite understand what Jesus is offering. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. It's like she still thinks that Jesus is talking about physical water that will make her life easier by saving her a trip to the well each day. She doesn't quite get it. And so Jesus tries another approach. He says, go, call your husband and come here. Which is not how well scenes usually go, right? We've heard enough of them now. Usually the man meets a woman who isn't married and who has never been married. Remember, uh, Rebecca was a young woman, very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. But here's a woman who has been used and discarded, used and discarded five times. She's not married now because no one will have her, not in any kind of um, committed, covenantal way. And so now, after five marriages, she's living with a man who isn't willing to marry her. All of this puts her in a position of extreme vulnerability. It's a patriarchal society, so there's a question about how she'll survive, what her livelihood could be. There weren't many options available to women after so many failed marriages. As much as she's a victim, there's also at least the appearance and possibility of immorality. While the law technically permitted divorce and remarriage under certain circumstances, for it to happen five times was unheard of. And when Jesus says that the man she's currently with is not her husband, the implication could be it's someone else's husband. The point is, however you look at it, this woman's life is a mess. I mean, she is on the outs with everyone. But the real point is this. Who is it that Jesus goes looking for when he goes looking for a bride? He goes looking for people like her, which is scandalous. I mean, Jesus is recreating the classic biblical well scene with a five times divorced, reject, outcast woman from Samaria. This is the bride Jesus is looking for. You know, family, religion says, if you want to be the bride, clean yourself up, buy an expensive dress, do your hair, put on makeup. Religion says, if you want God to welcome you and receive you and love you, then for God's sake, don't have five failed marriages. Religion says, get it together, purify thyself. And Jesus is at the well for the Samaritan. He's at the well for the one whose theology is off. He's at the well for the one whose marriages have failed. He's at the well for the one whose family has rejected her. He's at the well for the one who is lonely and alone. He's at the well for the one whose life is a mess. He's at the well for the least and the last and the lost. In other words, you see Jesus is at the well for you and me. How does the Samaritan respond? Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Well, remember, this is how well scenes go. The bride-to-be goes to her family to share the good news. Only this woman doesn't have a family, so she goes to her community. Or maybe the point is that Jesus gives her and us a new family, a bigger family. Well, anyway, she goes and she says, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, on the face of it, that's kind of a horrifying thing. I'm not sure that I'd want to respond positively to her invitation. Come and meet someone who could tell me everything I've ever done? Everything? No thanks. I'd rather run and hide. Running and hiding is what we usually do. It's what Adam and Eve did when they were exposed. It's also what Hagar did. You remember the story of Hagar? Hagar was Abraham and Sarah's Egyptian slave. And when Sarah couldn't have children, she suggested that Abraham use Hagar to have a child, which is as bad as it sounds. And Abraham did it, which is also as bad as it sounds. But then Sarah was upset, and she turned against Hagar, and Hagar ran and hid. She fled. And then we read this in Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. The angel of the Lord meets the reject, the outcast, the foreigner at the well. The Lord blesses her and makes promises to her. And then she says this. <clears throat> she called, We read this. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I've seen the one, she says, who looks after me. I've seen the one who cares for me. When the Samaritan woman goes to her town, I think what she is sharing is something like this Come see the one who told me everything I ever did and didn't reject me. Come meet the one who knows me entirely. And still loves me. You know, she's had five husbands. Eventually each one of them either died or got to a point where they didn't want her anymore. Um, They had made promises to be there for her, but then maybe they learned something about her that was a deal breaker. For one reason or another, those promises failed. And and that is one of our fears, isn't it? That that there's like this inverse relationship between knowledge and love. The more I'm known, the less I'm loved. But the Samaritan doesn't say this guy's no this guy knows everything, run and hide. She says this one Jesus knows everything about me. Come and see. See, here's one who knows her, who really knows her, and he doesn't back away. In the face of Jesus, She sees that she is known and loved. And what is that? See, that family is living water. It becomes a spring bubbling up in the bride to eternal life. Well, what does any of this have to do with taking up our role in the mission of God? (laughs) Everything. I mean, just... Look again at how it plays out in the story. She has this experience with Jesus at the well. This experience of being entirely known and completely loved. And then she goes and she tells. And then we read this. They went out of the town and were coming to him. I wonder what you need to do this week to meet with Jesus at the well. And then I wonder what news you will have to share. Bright of Christ, beloved, go and tell in Jesus name, amen.